0: All right, I told you that I'm going to be uh, in, in the, the Gospel of Luke uh, for some time as I, as I teach this year. I'm also going to do Ephesians, uh, and we'll intersperse that with some apologetics. But today, we're going to start with uh, Luke chapter 2. And this is a great study. Luke is a great, great writer and historian. Luke really winds up being one of the great historians of all time uh, in terms of the work that he did. You know, he was a physician, but when he wrote, and he wrote Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And so in each one of those cases, you will see incredible scholarship uh, and searching for facts. And you see it here in Luke, especially as, as you see these early stories about Jesus, He's going to be speaking about things that nobody would know really except Mary would know. And so Luke obviously spent time with Mary one-on-one, who told Luke things about Jesus' early early childhood. Uh, And so it's amazing. And so as we study, we're going to see the hand of God on Jesus' life, right from the beginning, uh, and what Jesus did. And so here you see Jesus being born into a poor family. They were poor. All right they were poor you know the, the story of his birth uh that they they didn't even have a, a decent place to stay and they stayed really most likely in a cave uh when jesus was born and when you you see uh this is god being born in this world it, it's astonishing and i had the privilege to go to israel in may and, and when i was there i i went down to see the manger. And the manger is, you would come down almost from where the ceiling is, would be ground level, and the manger would be now on this floor. And as you walk down there, it's an amazing situation. It's a small place. It's not at all what I, what I thought it would be. Uh, and, and the actual spot where Jesus was born carved into the rock, maybe maybe it's uh, seven feet by four or five feet, and you, you, you go, this is where God is. This is where God wanted his son to be born, and you understand how God speaks, the humility of God, the humility of Jesus. He's not born in a palace. He's not born in a place where men would raise him up and affirm him, but no, he's been born in the most humble of circumstances, and that's the nature of the gospel. You see, the nature of the gospel is that it goes out to those who are lowly, all right, meek, who, who are suffering in their hearts who understand that without the intervention of of the Spirit of God, they would be lost forever. That's the humility of God and the humility of Jesus Christ. Uh, And so here we go. We have the chance to study these early early settings on the life of Jesus. And so we're going to begin in Luke chapter 2. I want you to begin with verse 21. And this involves Jesus being presented at the temple. And if you were a Jew and you were a boy, uh, you would have to be presented... To the temple. You're being presented to God and asking God to intervene in your life. And so let's let's follow and read. Verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went out into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised you now, dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, And so, what an amazing passage this is. Uh, As you see Luke revealing to us the early days of Jesus' life. You see how devout his mother and father were, how they observed the law, and how uh, they go and bring the child uh, to be circumcised. Um, and on the eighth day, they bring him after his birth to the temple. And then again, when the baby was 40 days old, uh, he was taken to the temple, which would be about six miles from Bethlehem. I was in Bethlehem. Uh, and that's not an easy trip. Let me tell you something. That's not an easy trip. Because Bethlehem sits up on a hill, and you've got to go down into a valley, and then Jerusalem sits on a rise as well. So it's not an easy trip. You can imagine uh, this this child being taken 40 days of birth to, to uh, uh, be brought to the temple in Jerusalem uh, and to be anointed. And he was the firstborn male. And so, if you were the firstborn male, uh, this was the exercise that you needed to happen. And so, what happened next really sets Jesus apart. You see, this sets Jesus apart from every other child born. Uh, and, and you see it in, with, with Simeon, who is in the temple. Now, I want you to understand something. I want you to see how God blesses those whose lives are linked to the temple. People who are given given up and consecrating themselves to the worship of God. You see this with Simeon and you see it with Anna. God elevated them. God gave them a unique vision about what was going to happen. This didn't just happen by accident. God saw uh, the purity and the integrity of both Simeon and Anna and gave them a window into the future of the world. This child would be the Messiah. This child would change the world forever. This child would bring the word of God to the Gentiles. And he gave this vision to two people who were ordinary people in every way except they were sold out to God. You see that? They were ordinary in every way. You don't see some great uh, talent uh, 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 exhibited here, but you see a humility uh, of worship. And so here it is. Simeon takes Jesus in his arms takes him in his arms, and makes this wonderful prayer, uh, rejoicing that here will be the salvation of the Gentiles, the salvation of the Jews. And, and it's an amazing prayer. Look at this prayer, verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant, in peace. Meaning what? Meaning I can die in peace. I can die in peace. I can be with you, Lord, because you made that promise to me. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. There it is. There it is. This is for the Gentiles. Not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Here is the light. I am holding the light in my arms. Can you imagine? Oh God. What that scene had to be like when this infant comes in. And the revelation of God comes into the heart of Samuel. Oh my God, the Simeon, and and the child's father and marvel at what was said about him. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that they were shocked? They were shocked. He just said that Jesus basically is going to be the salvation of the Gentiles and his people. No, I think they had an inclination. Certainly, Mary had an inclination. But it's like this with the Lord. You understand? I want you to understand. As you walk with the Lord, you don't see the end line. You don't understand everything, but you walk in faith one step at a time. One step at a time, and God clears the fog. You understand? He clears the fog and he said let you see the future. This is that story right here. The mother and father themselves are stunned to hear this about Jesus, their son. They're raising a the baby. They know what happened. They they knew that the angel came and and the angel had promised. But it's like this. They're still human beings. You understand? They're still human beings. He's a baby. He's, you know, he's flesh and blood. How could this all be? Well, then you see it there and it's it's extraordinary. And so with these verses, Simeon clearly indicates that that Jesus is going to be the salvation for both Gentiles and Jews. Um, And now, after the blessing... Simeon speaks directly to Mary. Not only did he speak about the greatness of her son to come and the impact he would have in the world, but he also then mentions Mary, and he says that she would face her own sorrows. Quote, A sword will pierce your own soul. Oh my, I can imagine what that had to be like for Mary as well. In this joyous moment, presenting her firstborn son, knowing that God had given her this gift, and then yet hearing his prophecy, that a sword would pierce her soul. You know, you understand, again, the poignancy of the Holy Spirit speaking through our lives. Not everything in our life is happiness. Not everything in our life is uplifting. There will be some sorrow in our lives. And you see it, you get this, as if we're standing there in the temple and watching this picture. And I see this humble woman. She was really not much older than a child. They say she was probably 15 all right. Imagine hearing this and, and, and her husband Joseph bowing at this moment, not really understanding everything that's happening, but walking because they believe in God and the promises of God and hearing this, how great is God that he honors them and lifts them up, that her name would be forever lifted uh, across the universe as to what God had done with her. Uh, and And so yet it's not all all easy and, and you know we understand that she would witness some suffering take a look if you would at John chapter 19 verse 25 near the cross of Jesus stood his mother his mother's sister Mary the wife of Clovis and Mary Magdalene right there right there right there as Jesus is on the cross and his mother is standing here watching. Can you imagine the pain that she had to see that she would personally witness? And so it's, it's, it's amazing as you see that. But then there was another person that was there in the temple besides Simeon, Another person who would absolutely speak out, um, and, and that was Anna. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day. Now, let's understand what kind of person is this. She lives in the temple. She doesn't even go home. She has made the temple her life. These are people sold out to God. And so you see how God respects their commitment and their humility. And you see it here. And so... Uh, she gave thanks, it says here, she, coming at verse 30, 35 or 38 rather, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem and Israel. She understood, this is the child. I want you to understand something. Only God could reveal that to these people. And so where did Luke get this story from? Who do you think he got it from? He got it from Mary. He got it from an eyewitness who was there and saw it. Uh, and so you see this, how powerful God is, uh, and, and really demonstrating uh, his authority and his, and his ability to give us a wisdom about what he will do. And so then look at, and continuing down, look at verse 39 and 40. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now I want you to reflect on what that means. It means that Jesus returned with his parents and grew as a child. But this was no mere child. And so each day, each month, each year, Jesus grew in wisdom. And the grace of God was on him. Uh, And so the question becomes, did Jesus know when he was two or three or four years old that he was the son of God? No, I don't believe that he did. All right. But as he grew and was given more grace, I believe that his mind was open. And we're going to study about what happened shortly when when he goes into the temple and begins to uh, question the rabbis. And so, let's understand how impactful even this early life is. Little is is written about Jesus' early life. There's almost nothing available because there weren't any books written about it. What we know, we basically know from Mary who spoke to Luke. And so, uh, we know that in the early years, the family had to flee to Egypt in in order to avoid the massacre put by Herod. Now think about that. These are poor people. They were so poor, they couldn't do the regular sacrifice uh, at the temple, and you know, then later, uh, when he was 12 years old, they couldn't, they couldn't sacrifice sheep. They had to uh, sacrifice birds, tubs, uh, because they didn't have the money uh, to do the regular sacrifice. So these are poor people, and so now when Herod decrees that all boys from the age of two or under in the area of Bethlehem will be slain, they flee. They're warned by an angel, and so they flee. And they moved, and they moved from Bethlehem to Egypt. Now, how did poor people afford picking up and going to Egypt and then establishing themselves in Egypt so that uh, they could have a living? You you think that that there was some uh, internet service available? Say, we need a carpenter, Joseph. You come in here, we'll get you a good job. You don't understand that. They didn't know anybody. They're picking up and traveling to Egypt, but I want you to show show you how God works. Do you remember what the wise men brought to them? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's as if God is bringing the bank account. Seriously, that's exactly what's happened. God is bringing the bank account to the manger, and it's coming by way of a rack from these wise men. And there they bow and they give it. It was those very gifts that these poor people had that God provided that would allow them to go to Egypt. Amen? Look, when you worry about your life and you don't know what's happening next and you're going through turmoil, I want to assure you that you're children of God, God will not abandon you. He will open the door for you and he will make a way. He will make a way just as he did then in the most unprofound way. He opens the door so that they can go into Egypt and be there until Jesus can safely return back. What a powerful story this is. We don't often reflect on the facts of it and drill down on how significant it is. But this is a big deal. This is a big deal. And so Jesus is growing up in a holy home. He's growing up with a mother and father that are devout. And he's being prepared for the the message that he has, for the message he will deliver to the world And again, this is an example to us of how to raise our children, all right? You can imagine, you are entrusted with the Messiah. You are entrusted to raise the Son of God. There will be no greater responsibility than any man or woman would ever have than to have that responsibility. Uh, And so really, it touches my heart deeply. And so after several years in Egypt, after several years in Egypt, they return when it's safe. And so uh, on the one hand, uh, Jesus, in his humanity, was a normal Jewish boy in his humanity. Remember this. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He had given up his divine prerequisites, his divine power, but he, was, but he was still divine. And so he was a normal boy. He grew up in a home where God's word was honored and obeyed. And so age 12 was considered the appropriate age at that time for a boy to begin preparing to take his place uh, in in uh, the religion, uh, effectively, almost like today a bar mitzvah, and so they bring Jesus now. They bring Jesus now to the temple, uh, where where he will again effectively have what we would call today a bar mitzvah to be presented again to the temple. Verse 41, same chapter, chapter two. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Every year they went. Every year they went like any devout Jewish people. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Well, yeah, you're talking to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't be too amazed, all right? When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus responds, Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. That's written by Luke but spoken by Mary, all right? Written by Luke, but spoken by Mary. What a, what a passage this is. Uh, and so you see Jesus, as I see it here, Jesus has now recognized that he has a special call on his life. It's clear to me that, that at the age of 12, he understood it because he says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, what 12-year-old boy says this? What twelve-year-old boy? A twelve-year-old boy who is who is appointed to be the Messiah says this. Who is fully God says this. I had to be in my father's house, uh, and and, and I, I can imagine. In one way, you see the juxtaposition of the humanity of Mary. All right, she's his mother. Why did you do this to us? You can imagine. I mean, the Bible, the words don't really come off as harsh as I imagine it was. Can you imagine? You just lost Jesus for three days. Explain that to God. I hope you got a good explanation because it's, it's, you've got a problem on your hands. We lost you for three days. And I'm sure she was losing her mind and she must have been filled with angst. Well, how could you do this to us? How could you do this to us? And he looks at her and he says, But you realize I had to be in my father's house? I had to be recognizing, yes, you're my mother, but he's my father. Yes, and you understand this is one of the things that Jesus would always preach about, about the relationships that we have with brother and sister and mother and father. All of that is secondary to your relationship with God. I mean, I want to drill this home to you today. I want you to make sure you understand this and you see it in this testimony of Jesus. I had to be in my father's house. Yes, we love our children. We love our sons and daughters. Yes, we love our wives. Yes, we want to lift them up and affirm them. But first comes God. God. We can never let any of those relationships interfere with God. God comes first. Leave here with that promise in your heart. Don't ever make them an idol in your heart. God comes first first and when you lift up god and make god first he makes you first in every way and so you see this powerful story here and so uh, to me it's 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 so poignant uh and here they are this they're there and they don't really get to find him again for three days how could good people lose jesus for three days well have you ever lost jesus for a couple of days Maybe some of us have lost Jesus for for years, right? For years. And you see, this is, this is God speaking to us. You can't lose Jesus. I know you've been saved. But some of us have been saved, and then we put that salvation kind of in the back corner, don't we? i got to live, John. I have, a, I have to make a living. I have to work. Uh, I have to have social responsibilities. Yes, I love Jesus, but... <laughs> He knows that I love him. Really? Really? Are, is your life exhibiting that love? Is he with you all the time? Or are there times where, you, where you've lost him a little bit? And so you see this story, which to me drills down in my own life personally, about how we got to put Christ first in every part of our life. There's not a single part of your life that Jesus shouldn't preside first. I don't care what it is. I don't care what you do. I don't care where you are. I don't care what your relationship with your wife is or where you're with your children. He comes first. You lift him up in every step of the way. And when you lift Jesus up first, God lifts you up. He lifts you up. And this is such, a, such an incredible uh, story here. And so also I want you to think about what it was, must have been like to be at the temple where the rabbis are, are having a colloquy with Jesus. It's a 12-year-old kid only thing missing is a baseball hat, right? You just see a baseball hat slightly twisted, you know? It's a kid. He's still a kid. Yeah, he's God also. But he's a kid, and so he sits down with them, and they are astonished. They are astonished at his ability to explain and interpret Scripture. They've never heard something like this before. And so they recognized, whoa, this is unbelievable. Uh, And and you see this, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Yes, this is the Messiah. This is the man who created the universe. This is the man who helped write the Bible, who stood there and directed the pen of all those men who would write the various churches chapters of the Bible. No wonder he understands it. He wrote it. He wrote it. And so you can, you can imagine this. And so you can just see his parents probably for the first time recognizing just who Jesus was uh, and, and what his wisdom was. And then it says that, that uh, Mary, when they went back down, he went back down to Nazareth with, with them and was obedient to them was obedient to them. This is one of the hallmarks of Christ. His humility. His ability to submit to others. His ability to submit to the throne of God. His ability to submit to his human parents. You don't see him saying, you don't tell me what to do. I'm Jesus. I'm God. I'm not taking instructions from you people. I'm God, you don't see that. Instead, you see him being obedient, being humble. And that's one of the hallmarks of Christianity. And I pray that, that that permeates your life, humility in your life, in every aspect of your life. Understanding that God has called you to be a servant to God. Be humble, be humble. Put your face in the dust. You don't have to lift yourself up. You don't have to tell people how great you are, that you go to church on Sunday. Some of you go to church twice on Sunday now all right? You don't have to tell people that. You understand? Your life is an exhibit of who you are and what you are. The fruit of the Spirit is all over you and everything that you do. And so this is an amazing story uh, that he did that. He kept in his obedience uh, to, to God and to his parents. And so there's so much of us To learn here. And let let me start by saying this. This story is factual. Don't go listening to people and where they start off with and saying, oh, come on. You're not going to believe that fairy tale. No, the fairy tale was told by his mother, an eyewitness, to Luke, one of the great historians of the world. It's absolutely factual in every business, in every way. Uh, and, And so one of the things you see is that they would go to Jerusalem every year. These were devout. Holy people. That's why God selected them with this awesome responsibility. Uh, and, and one of the things that you see here is that Jesus was devoted to the law of Moses. From the early days of his life, he observed the law, he studied the law. There he is uh, discussing and debating with the rabbis. What was he discussing? Current events? Wasn't discussing current events, he was discussing scripture, the law of Moses. Because God loves the Scripture. Jesus loved the Scripture. Uh, And so it's an extraordinary insight into who God was. And so I want you to stand out here. When they they went to Jerusalem, they probably walked. They walked from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. And I can tell you, that's a hard walk. That's six or seven miles up and down. Hard, hard walk. Uh, And so here they come. They They go into Jerusalem. They do the Passover, and now they're leaving. And so they were probably part of a caravan. They're probably part of a caravan, and they probably, like most people, let Jesus play with friends and family that they thought, and they just didn't stay on top of it. And So obviously as they're traveling, about a day and a half out, they realize, hey, have you seen Jesus? Where is he? Where is he? And of course they panicked, uh, and, they, and they came back. Uh, probably at least a whole day that they were without him, uh, but they probably knew he had good judgment, all right? So in that sense, they, they, they probably didn't have the sense of anxiety that a lot of parents might have had in a similar situation, uh, and so, so they, they probably knew that. Uh, and they found him there in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking all kinds of questions, and, and the rabbis are amazed at his answer. This sets my mind to thinking about all the sorts of things I'd like to talk about for hours. uh, And would I talk about the Bible for hours? Mm. Probably not. I'd probably talk about sports. I might talk about politics. I might talk about the impeachment, right? I might talk about the progressives on the other side, right? Would I talk about the Bible for hours? I dare say no. What does that say? It means really that God is giving you a picture of what, of what He expects from us. That this is what we need to devote ourselves to. This has to be of prime importance. This is how He increased in witness, in wisdom. He studied the Scripture. He studied the law. And every day, every month, every year, He continued to grow in wisdom. And so here's the point. Jesus Knew and loved the law from an early age. Let's understand something. He was a devout Jew. And so he knew the law. He loved the law. He studied the law. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's just an important thing for you to understand. And so here's the other point I want to drill down onto you. That you see here that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Now that's a hard concept to understand and get your arms about it, but it, you begin to understand the divinity of Christ. Uh, and, and Paul said this when he said, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. That's Philippians chapter 2. Read it again. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Meaning what? Meaning he's in heaven. He is fully God, but he didn't grasp on to the fact that he was God. Instead, he emptied himself. He emptied himself of the divine powers that he have, so that he could come to this earth and be incarnated as a baby in a manger and eventually die on the cross for you. That's your God. That's your God. You bow in submission. And it's almost like you you, you can't help crying when you realize that the God of the universe so loved us that he would absolutely empty himself of the divine nature and come and be born. It's as if you would say you see some ants and you would say, I love those ants. They're good ants. I'm going to stop this life, and I'm going to become an ant. I'm going to become an ant. I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to help them. And at the end, these ants are going to kill me. They're going to kill me because they're not going to understand that I just wanted to help them. They're going to repudiate me, but I'm going to go anyway. Can you imagine, really? Can you imagine? I mean, we have to think more and more and more like this every day. You know, so many of us take the Lord's Supper, right? We take the Lord's Supper and we just repeat the words. We take the juice, we take the wafer, we just do that and it's become rote for many of us. We need to focus back on what the nature of this sacrifice is, starting from the very beginning, from the time he did not grasp equality with God, something to continue with, but wanted to be a servant. Oh, Lord, thank you, Father, for this great gift that you've given us. How, what an amazing, what an amazing understanding of God Himself, as you see it here, even in as, a, as a young boy. Uh, and so you see here that he's growing, growing uh, every day with the wisdom of God. And so it's, it's, it's not easy to imagine how Christ can be God and not be omniscient. The incarnate Christ was somehow able to limit the actual exercise of the divine powers so that he had the personality of God, basically the motives and will of God, but the powers of knowing everything and the infinite strength of God, he somehow restrained. Can you picture that? In other words, I have the very nature of God, the personality of God, the understanding of the love of God, yet all of the powers I have restrained. And kept back. All right? No, I'm not, I'm not omniscient. I'm not omnipresent. From time to time, God invested him with that power for the sole purpose of advancing the gospel, but not for the purpose of, of advancing Jesus Christ. And so it's such it's such an important thing for us to, to drill down and understand what a tremendous respect I have for Jesus, for his life. Uh, and, and, and seeing that here he was submitting to his mother and father. Submitting to them even though he he was God uh, himself and understanding the call of his life. Uh, And so I would say to, to you today, this is a lesson for you to learn to submit. Find people in your life who can be wise mentors. Find people who can be wise teachers and affiliate yourself with those people because that's what God wants you to do. That's what Jesus was doing even at this early age. Asking questions. Yes, you should ask questions. Because Jesus asked questions. Uh, and so it's, it's not inappropriate to, to ask questions. Uh, and so it seems to me that the main teaching of this passage is that Jesus now recognizes, now recognizes his unique sonship to God and that his mission will require him a devotion to God's purpose so great that it takes precedence over the closest family ties. That's the nature of this message. Jesus is recognizing that the the call on his life to serve God takes precedence over every other human relationship. And he knew it when he was 12 years old. Some of us are 80 years old, and we still haven't gotten that. We still haven't gotten that. Because we want to be the sons of God. We want to serve God. We want to advance the kingdom, but I would ask you this. Is he first in your life? Is he number one? Have you put him on top? Does everything else fall behind him? And you don't have to answer to me. You answer to God. And if the answer is, no, God, I'm afraid he's not. I want to, but I'm not. Then you need to ask God in all humility. Lord, help me to put you number one. Help me, Father, to to humble myself before you in every way. And so Jesus recognizes here he has to follow his calling even if it brings pain and misunderstanding. Uh, and and it's, it's interesting here because even Simeon recognized right up front that, that the mother of Mary would have a sword through her heart because of Jesus. Uh, and Jesus said that, that, that uh, there would be division between mother and father, right? Son and daughter. There would be division. Why would there be division? Because inevitably there would be those people who would not put God first. You understand? Sure, there's going to be division. Because if I'm in a family in which I'm putting God first, and the other people in my family are not putting God first, you think it's going to be a united home? It will not be united. But you have to be united with God. God has called you to be the heads of your home. He's called you to be the leaders of that house. He's called you to be the priest of that house. And so it's time for a lot of us to step up and see Jesus and see what he did and how he lived. And even if it means pain and misunderstanding, you have to trust God that if you stand up for God and do what God has called you to do, he will will elevate you and lift you up. What a a message this is today as we drill down and see this, this little family, this little family in Israel, Right there outside of Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, we see this, 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 me- this me- uh, message of Jesus uh, in submission to a mother and father, yet recognizing the call in his life. What a powerful message. I think God is speaking to us today about what he looks for us to do. Step up, use the message, use the, use the uh, image of Jesus in Christ in your life. This isn't just a story 2,000 years old. It has relevance today for you. That's the practical. The practical is when you leave here today, make a promise to yourself that you will put God first, that you will be about his business, that you will study the scripture more, that you will look for places where you can elevate the kingdom of God in every part of your life. And my promise to you, gentlemen, my promise to you is God will lift you up. He will affirm you. He will surround you with His presence. That yes, you may have dark days, but at the end of the day, you're going to see Jesus standing there and saying, well done. Well done. Well done. My good and faithful servant. Let's close. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for the words that You've given us. Lord, I thank You so much for Jesus. For the lessons that He's given us, even as a young child, as we see how He's lived His life devoted yet to his mother and father, yet recognize that you took precedence. Lord, today, help each of us to put you first, first in every part of our life, not, not in a secondary position, but preeminent in all that we do. Lord, I ask you that this lesson grow with us and message resonate in our hearts this week in every way. Lord, be with these men, protect these men, and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. I put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.